So apparently I talked too much last week because Chris went and got a guest for this week. So we're talking movies. We're talking Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, starring Mel Gibson, Bruce Spence, and Virginia Hay. Written by Terry Hayes, Brian Hannett, and George Miller, who also directed. Greetings from the humongous, the Lord humongous, the warrior of the wasteland, the Ayatollah of rock and roll. I remember a time of chaos, ruined dreams, this wasted land. But most of all, I remember the road warrior, the man we called Max. Hey everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of How'd You Like That Movie? Not only are we talking about Mad Max 2, the 1981 film, The Road Warrior, but we have an amazing guest in a director, writer, producer from here in Canada, actually here from Southern Ontario, Gabriel or Gabe Carrere. Did, did I get that last name right? I feel like you just told me it and I probably fucked it up, so. <laughs> we got it. Amazing. So first off, we, uh, we've been trying to lock you down for a bit. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming out. Awesome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, so if, uh, if you're okay with it, we're going to jump right into our section that we like to call Shameless Self-Promotion. <laughs> so uh, yeah, Scott, do you want to kind of guide this, uh, work with it? Uh, I, I... It's self-promotion, so I don't know what I'm going to be saying. <laughs> Figuring, well, I'm a father of three. Uh, I co-host this podcast, if that's what you're looking for. <laughs> uh, it's more Gabe. This is more yeah, Gabe. Yeah, uh, Gabe. So, you know, let's do biopic style. You know, like, what are you working on? And then we'll go back, you know, where you're Dewey Cox and you got the hand on the building and you're like, you got to think about your whole life before you do a podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Just a... a one of those filmmakers uh, from the Tri-City area, I guess you could say, you know, Guelph, Kitchener, Cambridge, Little Nook, and uh, got, you know, never went to film school, just started making movies in, uh, in our backyard here in Guelph with uh, Chad Archibald, who owns Blackfawn Films. We made a, I think we were like 21 when we made this movie called Desperate Souls. Um, and uh, yeah, it was like shot on the Panasonic DVX 100s. It was like the first digital camera to shoot on 24p. And uh, we did a bunch of weddings to save up to buy two of these cameras. And uh, we just hired our friends and, you know, Ryan Barrett. Um, it was his first role in a film. It was our first time directing. And uh, from that, it was that movie, I ironically just uh, launched us. Not because the movie was good. The movie was extremely bad and awful. <laughs> but because um, video stores were desperate for content. So like Blockbusters, Rogers, they were still opening up in like 2001, 2003, 2004, like they were still opening it up. I remember when they were opening up a blockbuster in Guelph when we were filming that film. And uh, we knew someone who knew someone who knew someone who knew someone basically who knew the owner of Alliance Atlantis. Um, and they picked up the film and got it in all the video stores, uh, Canada and the States, Lionsgate. Lionsgate in the States and then Canada, um, Alliance Atlantis. And then the trailer was on the first saw dvd the movie saw the trailer for desperate souls is on that the uncut edition of, of saw and uh since then it was just move forward um you know we thought we were on 
all Heidi Mai of the world. And we went and did another movie called Kill and it was awful. And because we had some money from the first one and we didn't listen to anybody thinking that, oh, we know what to do. So our egos were shattered very earlier on in our careers before anything. So what was, what was the advice you didn't listen to? Cause th- I think this is the, everybody's got the stuff that they did listen to, but very few people want to really disclose the stuff they didn't listen to, which is often way more important. So what were you told to do that you chose not to do? Um, like, I think it was rushed. So we went and rushed the script for kill um the script was fun like it's a fun script but the sales agents at the time were like hey like when you have a new project it was more of like let's bring you guys up a level instead of you guys staying at the desperate souls level and what we did with kill we didn't move forward Mm. we just made another low budget crappy horror movie on our own dime meanwhile we could have worked with a script on you know um with a with a company with a group of people uh, that would be telling us what to do, but we didn't really like that at the time. So we just went and made another d- Desperate Souls, but it was called Kill, and it was plagued with errors. Like, we filmed the whole film, but then the hard drive, uh, we edited it. I forget what the problem was. And something happened to the hard drive, and then years later, we recovered it and uh, redid it, and then no one wanted it. Like, it's that. It was By the time we got the film done, it was so we hit a weird wave with making films and with the digital cinema and with video stores. And by the time, by that time they weren't looking for crappy B movies, like low, but like, I'm not even talking B movies. I'm talking like gutter sewer trash movies. <laughs> and we spent too much money on it. So we basically gave it to trauma, trauma entertainment, Lloyd Kaufman. We sent it to him and we didn't see a dime. They just took it. And, uh, that was the ego shatter. So when people, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you but you did recover. You did recover. We did recover. It's out there. It's called Kill. They they spelled Chad's last name wrong on the cover. It's Chad Archibald with a V. So <laughs> he's the so, he's I mean, the uh, non-union the non-union itself. East East European uh reasonable <laughs> facsimile of Chad Archibald. <laughs> right. But the movie's fun, man. Like I feel like when looking back, like it's crazy. We made like these paper mache tiki masks in our basement, Chad and I, because we were inspired by a house of a thousand corpses, I think. When it came out, and I think there was a guy in that that movie that had like this large mask. We're like, what if there was a bunch of those guys in a house, and these people were trapped in the house, but it was a game show, and like it was all Hawaiian tiki themed. It was so <laughs> stupid. Like it was like. I mean, I'll oh. be honest. It sounds kind of cool. Like I kind of <laughs> want to check this thing out now. You've sold no, it. No, no, no. But um, you guys yeah. did. You guys did uh, get back on track. Uh, we I mean, did get back on track after that. Uh, Ryan and I were, were pretty tight, and. Um, Chad went and made Never Lost, and Ryan Barrett and I made uh, a movie called If a Tree Falls. And I think If a Tree Falls was kind of like the film that helped me as a filmmaker break into a genre, like my exposure to genre film festivals and cinema. You know what I mean? I was in my mid-20s, um, so being exposed to that stuff. I mean, there was no Facebook. I don't think there was Facebook at the time. YouTube was just coming out, because um, I know when we made Kill and Desperate Souls there was no YouTube and we had to figure out a way to make a trailer that would fit on GeoCities. I don't know if you guys remember GeoCities. It was like a web website creation online and we had to compress the trailer so small because we couldn't afford the money. So like our trailer was like super (laughs) small on like the window. Um, But if a tree falls was the one that propelled us 
um, pretty quick. And I mean, that was like a big band of brothers. I mean, Reese was in that film as the main villain at the end. Um, uh, Ryan was in it. Like Chad helped produce it. Like, wait, 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 wait. Reese Evanesson was a villain? He's the main guy at the end who takes the nylon mask at the end. He's the only nylon head. We call him nylon heads. that has dialogue. Um, so at the end of the film, this was like 2009. Um, and uh, yeah, he takes the nylon mask off and speaks to the, the woman. I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, yeah, he's the, he's the main, like the leader villain at the end. <clears throat> um, pretty crazy. But that film got into Fantasia Film Festival for all the genre heads out there. And that, uh, that really helped, that really helped us kind of like make connections and, you know, that whole social networking stuff that I hate, um, uh, that, that film. And then after that, we kind of just all went our own way, but we were all friends still. Um, it was really, yeah, it was a good time. And then in the house of flies, um, I was a big punk rock fan and Henry Rollins was in Toronto. And, uh, I was like, man, like my buddy, Angus McCullen, um, he wrote the script for it. Actually, it was his old film school script. I was like, dude, let's just go shoot this movie. And reading the script, I was like, man, Henry Rollins, like the voice would be great for that because I know he does voice acting. So I went to one of his shows and I went, stalked him after his show, like a little weird Wait, wait, kid. wait. So you went to his concert? Like- I went to a Henry Rollins concert, yeah, in 2010, <laughs> right after If a Tree Falls, because we filmed it in The House of Flies in 2011, 2012. So after the show, I was the creep outside the venue, outside his tour bus, and I was like, hey, Henry, like, great show. Shaking his hand. I was like, I'm making a movie and, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, I'd like for you to be the, the bad guy in it. And he's like, just email me, man. And I'm like, huh? He's like, on my website. Just email me. My email's on there. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I was expecting, like, a, either a big no or, like, I'm like, oh, that's it? Like, call like, my people. I don't yeah, deal with this nonsense. stuff. So I got home that night and spent a week coming up with this freaking email just, like, <laughs> Henry Rollins, like, you know, but like not trying to be fanboy, just trying to be cool. Like, I'm a serious like, filmmaker and like... Yeah, like, my movie was... I did say my movies in Fantasia. I was like, just, just newbie stuff that you're just like, oh, God. Like, if I read that email now, I'd just be like... Even though it was only, like, 13 years ago, it's still... It's just like, ah. Oh. And uh, he responded and he attached his assistant, Heidi May, on it. And I told him the budget. Uh, I can tell you guys the budget now. It's years later. It was only... $12,000 budget. Um, and I told him and he told me his rate and I was like, oh, that's it. Um, so literally I, I can't really remember, but like four months later, me and Chad Archibald and Angus flew down to LA, got in the recording studio with Henry Rollins for two days and pumped out all his, uh, kidnapper dialogue. Um, it was it was awesome, and then uh, we we got all the dialogue before we filmed in the House of Flies. So when we came back, we also got a stuff a bunch of stuff signed for the crew for the film before we started shooting. It was a big morale booster too. We came back with all this like we can't, we had the in the House of Flies script created, and then he signed all the scripts. So all the crew members got like a signed script by Henry Rollins, um, and then it was like yeah. Then we just went and shot the film, and we had his dialogue on set already recorded, so it was cool for the actors to to hear it and really get into it instead of doing it after. Um, and uh, yeah, that was, that was that. And then after that, I don't even, 
Did you did that. you stay in touch? Like, did you become like BFFs or like like? Uh, no, but he, he would remember us. Like after the film was done, we went to another concert of his, and Ryan Barrett brought the uh, DVD with him with the cover and stuff, and they got behind the scenes photos of Henry and him holding the cover and stuff, and uh, we gave Henry a copy. And after that, I noticed Henry was starting to do a lot more genre indie films, um, which was cool. Like in Toronto, so I don't know if we triggered it but uh no it was it was it was awesome it was uh, uh man we shot that movie on the canon t2i for all the gearheads it was a dslr camera the canon t2i um because at the time red red cams and all the big cameras were either too expensive and no one really rented them and we couldn't afford it so we just shot it on a little claudio manny was our dop phenomenal dop he's doing big stuff now um yeah and then after that was the demolisher um that was that was a shit show. <laughs> it was a, so was the, so our show is in Cambridge. You shot some of that here in the city, did you not? We shot, yeah, actually, the demolisher was shot in Cambridge Kitchener. I always get confused with Kitchener and Cambridge, like the whole. Of course, you do. Where's the border? <laughs> the only people who don't are people who live in Cambridge. We we know where Kitchener. our city ends. <laughs> you guys have a border? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 Somewhat. armed. We've got armed guards there now. And everything <laughs> like that. I feel like if it was like. If, if it like the end of the world, Kitchener and Cambridge would like put a border up between the two, you know. Like so like... I th- I think Cambridge officially ends at Sports World Drive. Like that's the line. Right? Okay. Like that road right. itself, I think, is the dividing line. And then if you carry, people are like, when I'm listening to a film podcast, these guys are talking about geography of Southern Ontario. But like, <laughs> you're in Guelph. I know, definitely know. Are we? You're from Guelph. There's we know... a defined border between us and you guys in that's Guelph. Right. Yeah, Demolisher. We filmed that everywhere. Um, our, one of the couple of producers on Dwayne and Andrew, they lived in downtown Kitchener, not Cambridge. And then there was a, there's like, there was a big tattoo. We filmed some of the street stuff in Cambridge. Then there was a really cool tattoo place with all these like neon lights on the outside. It's in Kitchener. I forget what it's called. Um, but we we're like, man, that's an awesome backdrop. And we, we shot the demolisher with no permits. So it's all but gorilla. It, the whole thing's gorilla. Well, kind of like the cops in Guelph. No, like they, when I call, they kind of know me from all the other shoots I've called them about. So even for, for the sake of vicious, when we were shooting the motorcycle stuff, I called the cops and the, the guy, they, they like, they had to double check for a second, but um, I got no permits to shoot the Crimea street, all the motorcycle stuff um, on Crimea street was nuts, but no permits for that. Um, you know, I guess it's an element of trust. <laughs> I mean, both you and James Cameron did the same stuff and he did all right. So very, yeah, right, yeah, but uh, yeah, no, Demolisher was fun. That was uh, that was a it was a crazy movie. It was, it was big. It was fun. It was an awkward time because it was like during a season of like end of spring where it wasn't snowing, so we lucked out filming in downtowns when it was desolate. Mm. Um, usually at that time of the year, it's either there's lots of snow, so um, yeah, and then after that, that was just Death on Scenic Drive, and then. For the sake of vicious, and then uh, a few other new ones coming up. So before we get into your new stuff, so for the sake of vicious is the one I'm most familiar with. Uh, yeah. Mostly also because we had Mr. Twister himself, Reese uh, Evanshen, on our show. Yeah. He's actually going to be coming back on uh, with Anel from who was uh, formerly with Raven Banner uh, to do oh, yeah. our Oscar show. Uh, nice. So you co- so you co-directed. And he did some of the writing on that or like what, what was the breakdown oh, of the, like the workflow for that? Cause he said it was a bit of a wild shoot itself. It was a horrible shoot. We literally <laughs> barely any money. Um, 
So I had a story idea of like, I love the movie Trigger Effect with Elizabeth Shue. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that movie. It was in the 90s. Was, I know, was Scott's a black. big Elizabeth Shue fan, so. <laughs> That's all about the shoe. Um, so there was a big blackout and stuff. And I was like, man, it'd be cool to do like a home invasion film during a blackout. So originally it was like supposed to take place in the summer. Um, and it was like, instead of like guys with masks on at Halloween, it was SWAT team. So it was like more, like less horror and more like, uh, more action afternoon around a house. Um, but then I was like, man, like I wanted to shoot it that summer. But then it was like not going to happen because it was just taking too long to get off the ground. So I called Reese up and I was like, hey, man, do you want to take a stab at this? I'm kind of stuck at this. I don't know if it's going to work. So did you have any, did you just have an outline? Like, or did you have a screenplay? I always have like 10 page outlines with all the beats and stuff like things. And then Reese took the outline, wrote the script. It was pretty much where it is now because it was in the fall. And I was like, and then we were talking to some producers in Toronto um, and then we knew the budget was so low that the only way to Can do you tell this, us the budget? I always love hearing what these low, like, budgets are. What, I don't like, know. Am I, like, am I allowed to say it? I guess I don't know. I don't know. know. You're don't allowed to, it's our show. You can say whatever you want on our show. <laughs> I don't know if I mean, you're going to get in trouble. I think the budget, after, like, marketing and all that other little weird stuff, I think it may have been, like, I know the shooting budget was under 90000 Oh, just under a hundred, under ninety. Because it looks like I mean, I'm sure you look at it and find your own flaws, but it looks very good. Like the cinema, Alex Tong's uh, cinematography on this is is fantastic. So that's that's a I cannot believe that you guys squeezed a film like that out of ninety ninety k. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish. Uh... <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was intense. I'm starting to have like memories. It was just the only way that movie would get made is if you had two directors who could do multiple things on set because we had no money. We didn't have a production designer. Um, our costume designer was like everybody who get their hands on, on stuff. Um, I know uh, Aaron Reese's wife helped with uh, some of the costumes like Laura Burke's uh, clothes, but like all the biker costumes, their helmets, I did all like I painted my dad owns an auto body shop. Um, the, the vest they were wearing, the patches on the back. I did myself, printed them up, twisted tees, sewed those on the back of their jackets that I got at Army Surplus Store. And then even on set, like as two directors, it was like, and not having like a huge crew, you were always doing something other than directing. And that's where it was a complete freaking nightmare. Um, I've never had that in my life. Like even helping the lighting team, um, like I remember on set where I would look at Reese and be like, dude, I got to go outside and build this set. <laughs> like for, cause we had this party. So we had this thing seen that they were talking outside, uh, uh, in the backyard and it was just all black in the background. And I'm like, and in the script, it says that the neighbors were having like a Halloween party. And I'm like, okay, let's not cheap out on this. Like, let's do this right. Like, let's make this world seem a little bit more fleshed out and not like just a black background and then like audio noise. And that's my biggest peeve with movies. So I remember one day I had to, while they were shooting inside, I was outside building fences with a drill by myself. And I was having to time it with their takes of rolling audio. Like, so here I'm outside and making, and then I was going and getting bushes with a hacksaw 
at the back of the property with bushes and shrubs. And this is stuff that freaking Abby doesn't even know and other people on set. Because they never there was no one out there watching me do this. So by the time night came, we had a clear we I basically made a fake um backyard with a fence going all the way down with shrubs on the outside and a fake fence. And then we put crew on the other side of the fence to look like it was a party next door. But really the fence was in the backyard of we were shooting. You know what I mean? So it was just all through perspective. And we put I put like little lights and stuff on the fence, like outdoor lights to make it look and it worked. Like when you watch the movie and you see the thing next door, it's like, but I mean, you barely notice it. No one's going to no, no one in the audience is going to watch you go. Oh, but like I would, you know what I mean? And that was the biggest thing where like, if I'm watching my own film, I want to make sure that everything in it is, was to the best of my ability. You know what I mean? So that was an example where having two directors on set was, was needed because. But the director's not supposed to be doing art, like literal art direction. There was no money. There was literally no money. There was no money in this film that we had to actually Reese and I, for the two weekends before we would go on Facebook marketplace with my Jeep and we would look up free stuff like the furniture in the movie. A lot of that was free. Because we would go and pick it up in Cambridge. Um, some of the stuff we got from uh, the ReStore, um, the Habitat Humanity Store. But some stuff, like, I mean, we went to people's houses and they would put it out for us and we would take it. And it was free. Like, we didn't have money for, you know, the motorcycle helmets. I didn't even put on the production budget. The, the motorcycle costumes. Um, I don't know if I kept my receipts for that. There was a lot of stuff that Reese and I just scrubbed into our own pocket that... Uh, <laughs> no one knows about right so um oh man where was, was your just... location like was that a set in an internal set or were you shooting in a house it was an actual house that was going to get demolished it was on i think it was on eagle street uh and now when you drive down that street they tore it down like two years later after we shot or a year and a half later and they put up two houses on the property so it was a pretty big lot that this old house sat on so it's kind of cool that like you see the street in the movie in this house that was on eagle street in cambridge and we have a nice exterior of this old house, but now it's not there anymore. Um, and you have these two new kind of uh, modern looking townhouses things there or something. So I know that uh, we, when I've talked to Christopher Giroux from Vortex Media, I don't know if it was this film or another film, but he has done that same thing back in the day where you somehow get a, a house that's going to be demolished. They say, yeah, go in. And then you just like yeah. cut door frames out and put in... Uh, your doorway dollies and stuff. Was that on this film or is, is he most likely talking about a different film? Uh, that could be a different film. I know for this film, I had to really drill it into our camera, like Alex and um, I forget who the grip guy was, Alistair. I don't know if Alistair was at the time because we had another grip guy that left um, and then Alistair came. <laughs> um, but like, I, I know there was like, I don't know, like in the, in the living room there, we had a full on, like I told them, I said, guys, like for these action sequences, we need a 360 degree camera movement or at least like a, like a, like a 180 at least, right? Uh, so let's just let's just top light it and worry about our fill lights for certain push-ins or whatever we need to do. So I remember leaving and coming back, and I just don't think people grasp, like, we can do anything to this house. <laughs> so I came back, and there was, like, you know, a cord taped all against the wall. And I'm like, guys, like, the camera and then the actors, and they're going to see this cord. I'm like, just destroy the ceiling. Put a cord through the ceiling to the outlet like upstairs and then top and then you don't have a cord like on the wall you know what i mean where the camera could see you know what i mean so they were like oh and i saw like i ran to home depot 
that second got a drill with the I forget what it's called came back went upstairs and just started hacking the the floor upstairs and the people were worried about I was gonna hit a wire or something like that and then I found out later that that's impossible for those houses anyways so I drilled right through the hole ripped it up we stuck the cord and so I think people had a hard time thinking like yeah we can destroy this house like just go nuts yeah it's not like a normal location where the no, house has to not. be back to normal it's like cut, oh, the, cut the thing location, apart yeah a normal location you're like oh no is that a little scuff like you're being so paranoid and this is the exact opposite so when you're trained to think otherwise you know it's uh it was nuts we actually shot a music video there um like two months after the shoot for a band and we just had them have axes and we had them axing the walls and the music video with camera on the side of the wall and they were like throwing the fridge old props down and it looked like a house like it was we we're just like man like we have a house like shoot a music video in it let's go let's just destroy it <laughs> and this is one thing that uh i think all your production design on for the sake of vicious and as i said the cinematography the one one of the things i really stood out for me in this was the action sequences and not, like knowing kind of the behind the scenes aspect of this is kind of cool because it worked like everything you're talking about ended up working when you see this film uh and i i recommend people watch it even just for the claustrophobic fight scenes like in the bathrooms and stuff like that, that. all our stunt guys like we gave them the sets and they would have like half a day to plan it out like tj kennedy uh god like there's just so many there was a group of them i have them all on instagram i follow them i love those guys and they just like we would basically leave set Reese and I, and they would coordinate something and then show Reese and I, we'd make her tweaks. But I was all them. All the fight stuff was, um, it was all them. And then that's why the camera doesn't seem planned in these rooms because the camera wasn't planned. The camera was just another person during these fight scenes looking around because we didn't have time to plan like, you know, okay, like let's do this and this and then we'll push in here. Like, yeah, there was a little bit of that, but it was the stunt coordinators who directed the action scenes in this film. So the film was a huge conglomerate of people just all hands in, you know what I mean? I don't think it would have worked with one director doing it at all. I think it would have been, I think it would have had to be a longer shoot if that had to happen. uh, Right. So you have your, your, your action days spread out a little bit more um, because we would have to nail out one action sequence in like a day and then move on to the next day. So that's another reason why it was, you know, is that uh, is the sake of vicious uh kind of your biggest film to date or like no, the most successful I would say the, the demolisher i would say the demolisher and for the sake of vicious sometimes saying that for the sake of vicious uh, <laughs> <laughs> i'd say the two of them are pretty tie and tie they're both around the same the same uh, i know i had more crew on the demolisher so there's a lot more of me able to like direct, direct. um this was like you know, it felt like I was making If a Tree Falls Again, where you're operating the camera and then the boom sticks and the mic, like it was all hands on deck thing. Um, and I know Reese and I divided up our like directing responsibilities on set. So he was directing more of the actors and I was directing more of the camera department. Um, so that was another thing too. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of, um, I, I feel like we needed more help in the camera department than what we had. So it was like more heavy, heavy weight on there. And then plus that with all the, everything else that needed to get done like i mean it would be in the middle of the shoot and you know we'd have to get there's uh glasses in the film where laura 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 burke chucks and uh 
we just never had time to get prop glasses and we couldn't use plastic cups. So I forget what I used, but I remember going to get plastic chandelier or champagne glasses and then breaking them and then gluing them together. I don't know. It was just, oh man, it was just nuts. So do you think there's a, so A, would you co-direct a film again? If, if you already have, I'm sorry. Uh, and what's the secret to co-directing? Because I think that the directing a film, it's always good to have someone who says yes and no. Like there has yeah. to eventually be a stop where the decision can get made. Uh, what yeah. is the secret to co-directing and would you do it again if you haven't already? I mean, I've co-directed stuff before. Um, it's just, this was way more hands on where I don't think, um, I don't know. Like it was just, a, it's starting to turn into a blur. Like I would co-direct again, depending on the project. Um, and the, the key, like I remember Reese and I, the summer before we shot, we would just spend hours storyboarding. And that was the thing we needed to, to make sure him and I were both on the same page with like the scene action, the sequences, the storyboards. So we had a good rough, like a good, like, okay, we're on the same level here. When we get the set, there's going to be some, obviously there's going to be some creative things, but at least there's a level that we can fall back on and just kind of like, okay, we both agree on this level shot wise or sequence wise or, you know, set piece wise. Um, but uh, no, and also dividing up the responsibilities too. Like I, I can't remember him and I talking that much together on set um, because we were just so, so busy doing everything else. Um, it almost felt like we would just jump into battle and then like, <laughs> Reese is over here doing hair and makeup and like you're, you're gaffing. And yeah, I think there was a few times where, you know, I was like, we both were behind the monitor watching. It was, that was a rare circumstance where we, we were both behind the monitor together watching it. Right. Um, Cause we're always just taking care of something else. Um, you, uh, you have a couple features coming up. Uh, one's called what Yander. And then you have another one as well coming up maybe 2025 or. Yeah. There's one called, uh, Yander, I guess the first time saying the name. Uh, it's been developed for like six months. It's going to be awesome. It's like a little bit of like a monster movie. Um, I don't even know what you'd call it a monster movie. It's like a, anyone who's a fan of like art, hardcore RPG games. Um, I wouldn't say Dungeons and Dragons, but like just like really brutish dark stuff is gonna is gonna love it. Um, kind of like Home Invasion meets Dungeons and Dragons slash RPG, but. In real life, kind of like being obsessed with something and how it might not be good. Because I remember when Dungeons and Dragons came out in the 80s, there was a whole satanic panic stuff. Um, so it kind of dives onto. There was a there was a movie with Tom Hanks actually called the uh, Tom Hanks did. I forget what it was called, but it was kind of like the obsession over something and how your mind can get consumed with something. Isn't that like like uh, sorcerers and serpents or something like? Yeah, that? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. a great film, by the way. Actually, oh, it's a very it is cool good. Film. It's yeah. dark. Um, so it's like. I wouldn't say it's kind of like that, but you know, these movies could be a pairing in a sense. And then the other one is a straight up monster movie. We're filming up in the forest. Um, We're just trying to make the timeline correct with this because we want to shoot in the fall, but this might, Yander might probably shoot late summer, fall and bugs are really bad up in the forest in the, in the, in the fall. So we might just make it end into a, like a winter monster movie in the forest with a bunch of, hunters and i can't really say too much about it but it's uh it'll be it'll be awesome to jump 
back into <laughs> into the horror hardcore horror zone again. Um, Just for the sake of it was like an it was horror, but it was like an actiony. Like there was like guns and like motorcycles. You know yeah, what it's I mean? very like, grindhouse, right? Like yeah, exactly. So it's like kind of like a huge mental mash of recentized sensibilities, you know, coming together. Uh, great. Uh, that movie's actually from 1982. It's called Amazes and Monsters. That's what it's called. Yep. 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 Um, I don't know if that ever had a proper Blu-ray release or anything. I don't know if it, because no one really talks about that film, eh? I remember it, seeing that film. I probably saw it actually on cable not, is what I probably saw. I'm not going to lie. I thought you guys were talking about Joe versus Volcano. <laughs> <laughs> well, because the whole thing, like, he he was convinced he was going to die, right? They convinced oh, right. him and he was like... <laughs> that's why he was getting ready to sacrifice himself <laughs> so I'm like alright so uh, for those listening for the sake of Vicious you can find on Amazon and Apple uh, if you want to check out the Reese Honor show Mr. Twister uh, you can check out our obviously our Twister episode uh, you got In the House of Flies is available on Tubi that's the one with Henry Rollins The Demolisher Tubi and Apple and obviously we will look forward to Yander and your other upcoming film when it drops is there anything else you want to talk to you before we get to the main event? No, let's get into the road right here. All right. Well, here we go. Scott, now you take over. Oh, I got like two lines before we kick it back. Hey, it's sort, it's <laughs> sort of like Mad Max, man. Like he had like 13 lines in the whole movie or something like that. So that's why I get yep. paid the big bucks, right? Yep. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so Road Warrior pretty much. Um, it's It's a Mad Max film. It's pretty much, you know, you're finding gas going from one place and then just going back to where you started um that's most of the mad max films pointing and out yes. the obvious that's why uh scott is here to bring that heavy content so thank thanks yeah, for yeah. That, scott. Well, well the one thing like watching this again I, like i've watched this so many times yeah but i'm surprised that it's not ingrained more or like more homages like with modern like hmm. the the only one that comes to my head is um this is the end with like right. uh and, and at the end when you see Danny McBride and all of them with Channing Tatum, they've pretty much just become like these guys. Yeah. With their their hot leather and stuff. So but yeah, like it's it's a decent film. It's easily, but also the other thing is like when people are, are discussing like best directors and, and stuff, like you never hear George Miller. And just watching this, watching fucking fury word and stuff like that you're like being able to do all this practical shit and like you're never in the conversation kind of thing right like it's always the same like three or four guys that are always yeah. in the conversation he's never in it i know it baffles me that george miller i mean every, like if like it's yeah exactly it's uh i feel like he's a legendary director and people know he is but i just think exactly what you said like Fury Road, I you know, it got a lot of praise when it came out. Obviously, it was a big film. It still is a big film. In fact, I put it on. We were shooting out um, uh, East, uh, West in the Rockies, Matt Ninabar's new movie, A Night's War. And uh, we put on uh, Fury Road. And we were just all like, it was almost like a reminder. Like, man, like, no one will go and make a movie like that. It almost, like, raised the bar. And you forget that it raised the bar Fury Road did. I know we're supposed to talk about The World Warrior. But, um, no, you can talk about any George, Mad Max stuff. But, yeah, like, yeah, George yeah. Miller as a director, it's like, like that movie took years to make. It almost felt like, I don't want to, okay, I'm going to get slandered for saying this, but like, or not slandered, but just bashed. Um, 
it almost felt like a new age version of Apocalypse Now, where no one's going to go make Apocalypse Now. That's impossible to redo. That'll. That's why that movie's incredible. Fury Road, to me personally, feels like it has that vibe. Like you, you can't just go out and shoot Fury Road again. You know, like that. That the scale of it and the practicality and how long it took them in those climates. Um, and when you watch the Road Rare and watch Fury Road, I rewatched it this week. You could see so many things that. George's eye on the road warrior and then George's eye in Fury Road you see parallels with like just the way the car was shot some of the tumbles um yeah well even the the guy strapped to the cars right that started here yeah with only yeah. two people and then exactly. you go Fury Road it's like 50 people strapped to cars right yeah even the chains the element of using those chains you know like when Mad when Max is chained or uh, when uh, what's his name uh, Lux? Is this is Lux, the guy, the, the young guy in Fury Road. With the, he kind of teams up, not teams up with you know what I mean. Like he's chained and through the desert as they're walking. Like all the, all those use. I just love how he world builds everything um, with that. I'm curious to see how Furiosa, Furiosa, the movie, kind of like if he follows like that same thing, and it looks like he does from the trailers. Um, but uh, and then the little like the little hints like I know in Fury Road I don't know if you guys remember but there's a literally a shot of the gyrocopter skull you guys remember mm-hmm. seeing that yeah I, when the gyrocopter, was... gyrocopter yeah. guy from uh, the Road Warrior um, and then there's uh, yeah I think the biggest thing though like Road Warrior was shot in chronological order I found that out recently too and I was like that was shot in chronological order like shooting the Road Warrior I think I could be wrong but. The fact that they shot an action film in chronological order. Yeah, and they had a stunt guy break a femur. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like, so yeah, yeah, you're you're shooting in chronological order, which means anything that goes wrong, any cars that get destroyed, it's not like you're like, okay, now we're going to shoot all this stuff. Now we're going to destroy the car. You're like blowing stuff up, jumping it off of yeah. things, crashing it in this stuff. Like, even as old as this film is, uh, the driving sequences are intense. I mean, Fury Road, Fury Road is like, when I watch, I think I described Fury Road as like needing to do crystal meth after to come down (laughs) from the adrenaline high. Like I came out of the theater and I was exhausted from the, like, but yet I agree with you. You see the genesis of all of that in, definitely in in Mad Max 2. I mean, the original Mad Max is an interesting film. I mean, definitely uh, the original Mad Max actually was made for like uh, roughly 400 thousand american it did a hundred million dollars in return yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. that's insane uh, and this one just on the topics of budgets like i mean even, i mean he's been very successful like this did this was made for 4.5 million australian so roughly 3 million in the at the u.s uh and it did 36 so like obviously it didn't do the same return on investment but like yeah. he's continuously had four or five times his budget return. So, yeah. and that's just on Mad Max stuff. Like, you know, on, on the topic of the stuff that like, when I started digging into George Abe. Miller's work, like. Abe. You're going with Happy Feet, aren't you? Abe. Yeah, but the yeah, Witches yeah. of Eastwood, Lorenzo's Abe. Oil, like, babes. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. That's the thing with George, eh? It's like, you would think like, I mean, Ridley Scott, like you look at all these big directors and like Ridley Scott always direct, when a Ridley Scott film comes out, you know you're going to get something that's like Ridley Scott. But then you look at George Miller, you get Fury Road and the Roadway, and then like you said, you get Lorenzo's Oil and Babe and Happy Feet. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
And he won his Oscar for Happy Feet. He's got yeah, he himself right. has six Oscar nods, and he won it for Happy Feet. So he can do whatever he wants now. <laughs> yeah. Well, like just based off that, because like me and Chris have talked about this kind of, but based off that comparison you're doing, like you look at Ridley Scott now, right? Like you got what Napoleon? Yeah. What was the other one? House of Gucci. What was that duel? The duel, the last duel, the duel, the last duel. It's like he's he's releasing a movie technically at eight, what eighty years old or whatever he is. Like God bless that man. But uh, you know, releasing a movie every year, right? But it seems like kind of what you were you were saying at the beginning, like with your advice, like taking your time. It seems like that's what George Miller is doing. Like he gestates, he sits on on it because, like to me, I'm surprised that. Furiosha is next for him and not Mad Max Wasteland. Cause... No, I'm kind of conflicted with that. But I wonder <laughs> if he actually yeah. wants the time for the script development. But he's also almost 90 years old, right? Like yeah. to to commit to to doing like another like Mad Max where he doesn't want to do mo- uh it doesn't seem like he wants to do very much c- CGI. Right, that's going to take like a yeah. shit ton too, especially based off of it, right? Yeah. The Fierosa thing, I remember when hearing that announced because it's like a prelude to, to Charlize's character. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm into it only because we haven't seen that side of the world yet, like from her perspective or for that character's perspective on how that world was built. But like, I have this thing with preludes. It's like, at the same time, I know her arc. Like, I know where she ends up. You know what I mean? Like, I always have this, it, it doesn't matter what movie it is, Star Wars, whatever, like, they make these prequels and these things in between things. I'm like, okay, like, I get it. Like, can we just, like, what happens now? I want to see this go even further. And that's that's just a personal thing. So I'm just really like, okay, George. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm in this. Let's let's see what happens. Like, but, No, I, I get like, exactly what you're saying. Because with, with these preludes, there is, like, in terms of any... Threat? Um, yeah. Like, you're not really worried about it. Cause... Yeah. Yeah. You're like, well, I know she makes it at the end of Fury Road, right? So well, I don't know like, how she's okay. got her arm chopped off. So, yeah. So, there you go. You <laughs> see that. Right? You're like, oh, she got her yeah. arm chopped off. But, but yeah. No, I, I got it. I got it. And then there's, uh, I remember that for the wildest theory, too, there was, did you guys hear about this random fan theory? Because I remember when Fury Road came out, you know, you're Googling online. It was the Max, Max in Fury Road wasn't actually Mad Max. Did you hear about that theory? So, it was actually the feral kid from the World Warrior. Oh, I didn't hear that theory. Told. I did hear the, the the theory that Mad Max is not actually a real person. He's yeah, just a, a yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a story that people in the post-apocalyptic world make yeah. up as as like it's vengeance brought yeah. upon evil kind of thing, which is amazing. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, I was, I was saying say that. the feral kid thing got so huge that people started asking George in interviews. And I was, I was reading the interviews online and he doesn't deny it. He says, no, that wasn't my intention at all. You know, but if you want to do that, sure. (laughs) Yeah. He said it was really interesting. Like, Oh, like, wow. I never thought of that perspective of like the kid just being so enamored with this character of Max taking on that. Cause at the end of the road warrior, the kid goes and becomes the leader of the tribe. Right. But like, that's the only thing where it's not the kid. Mm. Um, But again, like who knows? Right. Like, and that's, I was like, oh man, that would be that would have been a cool uh, a cool thing. Like if it was actually 
you know the, the like the, and the intent of the so writer enamored with someone the man with no name being so enamored with this figure that came into his life you know well where's max like it doesn't even matter um i think it's funny though just on the topic of like kind of crossover so bruce rents who plays the gyro captain but then he comes back in three as the yeah. pilot underdog but it's like it's like <laughs> he's a similar character but he's not actually the same character but played by the same actor you know what i mean right is that true yeah that's true that's true absolutely is that true. because so i think because i also read a lot too like where they weren't even going to make thunderdome george miller wanted to make a lord of the flies movie for adults oh my god that would have been fucking awesome too and that's what thunderdome was and then it was like well let's just make this into another like a third mad max and that's 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 what happened well wow. uh, it was supposed to be an adult lord of the flies uh film i forget where i saw that it could be totally false but i thought i could see that right because yeah but there's nothing films. lord of the flies other than the the, the actual thunderdome the like two men yeah. enter one man leave there's nothing really lord of the flies about thunderdome no. they would have they would have had to rejig that script pretty hard uh and okay, yeah. i'm sure uh it doesn't have tina turner in it if it's just lord of the flies which i was gonna she's say she's fucking fantastic in that movie man yeah you wouldn't have that fucking soundtrack he wouldn't need yeah. another hero if it wasn't fucking Mad Max, right? The really cool thing about Thunderdome too was like big on the, the big on the world building front, right? Like you got the first one, it shows like the world kind of in what happens, and you got the second one, and when you see this little gasoline thing, and then the third one, it shows like what the society is starting to really involve into, right? Like you got Tina Turner's like master of this like new society that's coming up, and that's what I thought was interesting that those three movies are a perfect pairing for like. You know, where is this world going? You're like going on this like crazy adventure, like watching those three movies in a row or back to back is just such a treat, you know, for the first time, even because you're like seeing this like amazing, really like here is the progression of like the world, you know? So where would you put Furiosa? Would Furiosa be, or sorry, not Furiosa, uh, Fury Road. Do you think it's kind of in the same like time period as Thunderdome? Like as far as like the world building? Oh, I feel like that's way later on. In fact, those, you know, like, this is the thing. I think George George Miller doesn't think uh, that, I don't think he, um, I feel like because there's all these fan theories, there's a lot of stuff in this film that lets you come up with your own stuff. Because if you look at Fury Road, you got the war boys, right? The guys mm -hmm. in the white makeup. You look at Thunderdome, you look at all those kids um, at the end. I think they're in white. Are they in white? I yeah, 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 yeah. I, I'm, yeah. Now you've got me wondering. You know what if I mean? So yeah. there's like, I feel like Fury Road's like after, and then like, because it's just way more people with the the main guy, the bad guy, and then it's just like, I don't know, maybe something happened, like a society shift, and like, who knows? Maybe those boys in Thunderdome got lost, or maybe they became even bigger, and then someone came, and then like they evolved into something. I feel like Fury Road is even. Further, like because Thunderdome thing. still has like set like a semblance to our like a society that we would know yeah. today. Where yeah. by the time you're because in Fury Road, it's just like yeah, years, oh. years, and years and years. And again, especially if Mad Max itself, Ma like Max himself, is not a real person, yeah. then he can transcend time. Right? Like there can be a Mad Max for every generation, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. For me. Uh, if I was doing it, it, I would be, it would be Mad Max 1, then it would be Fury Road. Because when you go Road Warrior on, gasoline is the thing that they're worried about. Um, oh, Fury Road, they're, they're not, they're not really worried about it. And, and Road Warrior, they, they still have like 
oil tankers and refineries, right. right? Where later on, it's it's the natural resources like water is that they're fighting Interesting. for. Interesting. Right? That's why I That's... like Road Warrior a lot because, to me, it, it it's more realistic in terms of like the whole po- apocalypse thing because they are scavengers. Like you see when that. Uh, whatever the car crash happens like he's grabbing any kind of bowl to try to collect as much gas as he can right yeah i I like that they don't have like basic basic things (laughs) just changed my mind but they have they have nitrous oxide (laughs) it's like can't get normal like unleaded gasoline but i've got nitro and nitrous enough enough that i can not only use it but i like can somehow refill those canisters yeah, right. that's that's why I think it's always earlier because all that stuff at the beginning, kind of of the apocalypse, is is more in abundance, right? Where yeah. later on, it's not. See, I wonder if George would have that answer. I don't know if that answer's on the internet. Like, okay, George, where does Fury Road take place, or did you design these films? Like, I know there's the thing that you're saying, the man with no name. It's just the only thing that is like the costume of Max and Fury Road is literally exact same costume that Mel had. You know what I mean? So if it is the man with no name, there's a lot of details like the leather jacket, the pauldron, the leg brace. Well, he I still has his car too, doesn't he? In Fury Road, doesn't he open with his car, and his interceptor? Yeah, he opens with the car. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's taking so... the piss and then the, the thing that cut the snake or whatever, the lizard. Yeah. So it. to be like, oh no, it's a man with no name for Fury Road and Order, I'm like, well, there's just, it almost seems too much detail to be to be different you know what i mean like it i feel like it should be the same character or is it just the same character to give the audience familiarity that this is mad max but it's actually not miller's like i'm just making a fucking movie guys you didn't even have a script for the road warrior on set shooting no what no yeah, script <laughs> there was no script for the road warrior so on the on the commentary i listened to the commentary last week to get ready for the show was uh, george miller and the dop so I was listening to it and like he had a script, but it was like non-existent. So he would storyboard the shots, but they, apparently they were very small. Sort of like your, tra- your original trailer, very small. Every day. Because <laughs> when you look at it, there's only what, like eight lines of dialogue in the film for Madden, the main lead. Yeah. Before and the what they say, like, and two of them are, I came for the gas, for the gas. gasoline. Yeah. yeah. But like, why would you need a full written, sc- I mean, you could do scene action, but that's probably all of what it was. And then you would just storyboard, because I know George is big on the storyboards, like drawing everything out, right? Um, but apparently it was so cold there too that they would throw the storyboards. I'm just ripping this off the commentary I heard last week. They throw it into like these bins because it was so cold. So they were literally burning his storyboards on the day of shooting for fire for um Jesus, that in itself is like apocalyptic. Like yeah, you have this so film DO... set with these like barrels of fire coming out of them. To stay warm. And the DOP was like, Yeah, I actually was like able to ca- keep a few of the storyboards that, you know, like that apparently like they're not <laughs> they're not that many in existence. Uh, do you, I mean, when, do you storyboard still just on that topic? All the time. Like you 100%. physically write them out or do you get someone? I physically draw them. Yeah, yeah. I know some people take photos and stuff and uh, use whatever tech, but I sit there. I have like a big stack of, uh, uh, what is it? Like, you know, the websites we can order a paper from. Like, I'll just get like, I'll design my own storyboard in Photoshop and then upload that and send it to Optimal Print or Vista Print. And they'll send me like a stack, like a big, nice big stack of it. And that's what I... That's what I use. Interesting. Um, storyboards are so important because it's like you're shooting the movie in your head, you know, and um, it lets you go off a little bit on set if you need to as well. Because then you can always like look back and go, okay, am I going too far off? Or, you know, because the script is words, right? But to me, a picture is worth a thousand words. Mm. You know what I mean? So 
the script is important. Yeah. But to me, I feel like storyboards are more important. Um, that's just my opinion. Some people are completely against that. It's just, it doesn't matter. Or yeah, some people will just have their Whatever script in a too. shot list, right? Like they work with yeah, the yeah, script is important. I'm not saying a script's not important. A script is 100% important. Um, but I think storyboards are just undermined a bit, you know? And I feel like storyboards are just as important as a script. Yeah. Uh, in, term, in terms of that, like kind of script and storyboards, like the one scene in this film, I, I know Chris was alluding it to, was the, the motorcycle accident. So the one where the motorcycle rider hits the car, flies off the bike, smashes <laughs> his leg against the car, cartwheels through the air towards the That's camera. That's in the film too, I believe. It's actually, they yeah. kept yeah, it in the yeah. film. So they, they saw it, like the, the stuntman was supposed to just fly over the car without hitting it. Uh, but yeah, it, it was an accident. He broke his legs, but they're like, this is so fucking good on film that that. I don't think most directors or anybody production companies nowadays would be like, yeah, we're leaving the near fatal accident into the tint of the picture. That's right? why I feel like we've become wimps. And, but Australians are always known to be strong and tough anyways, too. Like, I've always had this, like, feeling that, like, Australians are just, like, way more tougher skin. You know, like, they're just, like, <laughs> I don't know what it is. Well, I, I, I just think it's, like filming in the 80s too right like right? because you had film and film was super expensive because even what was it called the twilight zone movie like where that helicopter crashes and kills the lead actor and the two kids right like, that's still in the movie like you still see <laughs> the, like, they're, they're like we're not gonna redo it. that so we're just gonna yeah. use it in the film yeah exactly right i think it was just like you know film was so expensive they're like we ain't redoing this this was good enough and even better than we thought <laughs> as i was watching this film i was like i could only imagine how rad it would have been to see this in like a drive-in when it came out you know you maybe oh, you got right. a couple like beers in the car or whatever and you're just like sitting on sitting outside and this massive screen and just the insane carnage like some of it yeah feels a bit kind of cheesy at this point but seriously like the, the actual car carnage in this is fantastic oh it's one of the best in fact so many films came out trying to copy that there's a lot of italian post-apocalyptic films that um tried to copy that carnage but it just never had the eye of, of george miller you know like even as a kid like i remember seeing road warrior i mean we've all probably seen it as a kid but i remember seeing road warrior as like a kid with my dad my dad let me all watch all sorts of crazy movies and road warrior was always that one that was the road warrior 2 not the first one. The first one as a kid, when you're watching that, you're just like, okay, I'm going to go play with my Lego. Like, there was just something about it that didn't keep your attention. But World Warrior too. like, I remember, like, it was such a big part of, like, the act of play, too. I don't know if you guys know what I mean. Like, when as a kid, like, when you're playing, like, they're, they're, okay, so give you an example. In the World Warrior, there's, like, that mountain, right? And Mad Max is up there with the gyrocopter guy and the dog, and they're looking down, and you see, like, the, the gasoline. Yeah, 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 yeah. And as a kid, I would just remember... Like, feverishly, every time I'm playing with my G.I. Joes, I had the G.I. Joe car. I forget what it was called, but it was like, I had these two guns on the top of the hood. And it looked like a Mad Max car. And I used my G.I. Joes. But I would get on my bed and use my bed and put all the pillows on top and reenact that Mad Ma that Lord Warrior scene. And then off the bed, down below on the floor, was like the compound. So I'd have my two G.I. Joe guys. And the, the biggest mission was to, like, go and, like, infiltrate this large compound with whatever I built. Um and that's why, like, 
know? and, and if you were Spielberg, you would have shot that as stop motion, and <laughs> right? you would exactly. we would not be able to have you on our show right now because you would be one of the most famous directors in the history of cinema. Well, this is the thing. Like, I don't know if there's movies like The World Warrior. Like, I mean, I, I assume that movie was restricted, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I just don't know if children these days, this is a super guess, but, like, are watching restricted movies action films and then like reenacting the play and i just don't know if it's a jet like if that was that's a lost generation thing with like people like us you know who are you know we're used to playing with toys and action figures and copying scenes from movies i don't know if kids do that these i don't have kids but i would be curious yeah my my no but also um you have kids well you're the the kid expert scott do did your kids play with toys as a kid or what well they played with toys when they were kids but they never they were never in or like reenacting this and also if they were it reenacting this scene in road warrior i'd be more confu- like more thing because you know there is the subtle rape scene that happens yes. during this as well <laughs> right? you know it's funny though as a kid it, it it's like even just the killing of the dog it's done so ta- not i want to say tastefully but they don't show the act they cut away and they show the gyrocopter's face and that's even more like oh but as a kid i don't remember seeing mm. ever cooking those dots up to to that to that yeah. scene like i i think i was just too little to i think they just killed them and that was it like it was i don't remember saying like oh, i was no, hoping she... the dog was gonna get away because they they managed oh, to keep so the dog sad, alive eh? and like that's it's weird all these other people killed there's a rape i and and then but the, the dog, dog is killed yeah i know and that's that's another movie the movie goes against the tropes with the dog like that sequence when mad max is against the rock and he's bleeding and they kill his dog like that's like the end of the movie. <laughs> it's like depressing. And it's like against usually at the end of a hero arc movie or something like the guy and the dog lives, but like, no, they kill his dog. You know, like you're just like, man, that's like when he goes all John wick on them. That's oh. when he was like, I'm not, I'm here. Not for well, then, just yeah. the gas. <laughs> exactly, right? Although after that happens, because uh, you know, they're like, we need you to drive the tanker. We need, I'm like, when he comes back and they're like, yeah, fuck that dude. In my mind, I'm like, yeah, you also weren't even able to get the fuck out of here with your car. Obviously, you're not as good a driver as we thought you were. So how about go fuck yourself? But then when, I mean, spoiler alert, like, the whole thing is a ruse. That yeah. uh, that ending, like, the first time yeah. you see that ending and understand it as an adult, you're like, what? Like, mind blown. The yeah. whole thing's a fucking setup. Yeah. All right, guys, is oh. there anything else you want to talk about on this film? We're almost, uh, uh, we're just over an hour here, so. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, like, based on the notes that I read, too, um, the villain, the humongous, or. Oh my Lord God. Humongous? Yeah, he was supposed to be originally. His partner? His partner from part First, one. That's why yeah. they have the cop cars and everything like that. And he yeah. has, like, the, the facial kind of burn stuff, too, yeah. which. Uh, to be honest, I like that they didn't do that, right? Yeah. Like, kind of leave it open-ended where like it's just... Yeah. When like, did... He was this nuclear mutant man, like... Well, when did Friday the 13th come out? Part 2, where... Actually, it wouldn't even be part 2. Oh. They Actually, because if you think about it, he's Jason. He's got the bald yeah. head and the mask. But this movie comes out before we... Jason gets his mask in, what, 3, in three. right? 3. Part 3. Yeah. So uh, yeah. they're basically That's ripping one. off fucking uh, Mad Max. True. Yeah. Unless it was an '80s thing, like with hockey masks, bald dudes in hockey masks and leather yeah. leather straps. <laughs> well, uh, I was gonna say yesterday. I actually went. It, uh, part three came out in '82, so it came. It would have been filming 
when this one came out. Interesting. But um, yeah, I went to the ROM yesterday with my kids, uh, you know, get some culture and shit. But uh, one of the exhibits they had was like the history of armor. And then it goes through the progression and you're go- it goes to like nowadays where armor is hockey equipment. Hmm. where the shoulder pads is the shoulder pads of the the knight and stuff like that so huh. i always thought it was interesting kind of like uh because i never thought about it until yeah. i saw it like together but with with that it would be kind of like especially in the post-apocalyptic world you you'd just be grabbing whatever like, what, whatever yeah. to fucking keep yourself protected well and especially in this film it really shows the scarcity of firearms Right, so yeah. mostly you are having to endure stuff like knives, blunt trauma, arrows. So the type of armor they're wearing is actually effective outside of firearms and literal fire. <laughs> like you know what I mean? You so. can move faster than and you know. I guess it's hot out there, but it, there's a lot of mobility in their armor and their costumes to move around quick. Because I feel like, yeah, exactly. You don't have to worry about bullets penetrating, but more of arrows, and you need to be a little bit more agile. Especially when you don't have any. Uh, you're wearing chaps and your ass is hanging out. So very mobile, but you might be getting some sand burn up in the crotch, right? Inconvenient so. if you need to pop and squat quick. <laughs> that scene when he rolls in with the dude on the back, you're just like, we have arrived. <laughs> well, apparently there's a backstory George had for that where it was on the commentary where that guy's not even his love interest. It's, it's someone that guy rescued when that blonde guy was a kid. So he seems... It's almost like he's taking care of him. It's not a... It's not a love thing. It's like a, like a, a parental. Thing it's more all. of a parental thing. Yeah. Just be, yeah. I think it was just because they have the assless chaps, right? Yeah. I thought it was and just like what, their little... Yeah. yeah. Uh, Gotta be more clear with that one, George. <laughs> anyway, Gabe, thank you so much for coming to the show. I'm, I, I appreciate you, like, uh, taking the time you. to, like, wait for us to get back to you and then adjust your schedule to, to yeah. meet with us and stuff. Uh, we are definitely going to throw a bunch of your stuff in our show notes. So if you want to check out Gabe's stuff, uh, it will be hyperlinked in there. Is there anything you want to say before we let you go? No, man. Awesome. Just thank you guys for uh, taking the time talking about an awesome movie. And, uh, you know, you guys are local too. So it's just nice to put the face and video to the names of you guys. And, uh, I think what, who is the short film that's playing right now? Uh, so I'm the producer of passage. Uh, and and I've got stuff that I've directed, like a really art house kind of like Jim Jaramooch coffee oh. and cigarettes thing that's in uh, that's in uh, festival right now as well. So what's what's that one called? It's called Coffee. Coffee. Okay. <laughs> and it was awesome. shot at Monogram, where I think some of your scenes for the Demolisher were shot in the basement, maybe the coffee shop in Cambridge. Uh, we shot upstairs. I actually knew I knew Dwayne Frey who worked at. I, I know Dwayne as well from oh, that coffee amazing. shop. So yeah, Dwayne's amazing. I love doing it. Yeah, I think he just has... Didn't he just do a feature as well that's uh, dropping? He's in, living in Northern Ontario or something yeah, like that. Yeah, he lives in Sudbury. So they just saw a feature called Violent Heart like a year and a half ago. So I think they're just in post with that now. I, I mean, they're probably sucking up some of those nice Northern tax credits. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, anyway, Gabe, when awesome. you uh, when your new films drop, well, definitely come back and we'll talk about Amazing. those. Yeah, man. All right. Have yourself a great day. Awesome, guys. Thanks. Right. Thank you so much. Ciao. And that is our wrap for the day. Please like and subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends. If you want to get a hold of us, reach us at the www.howdyoulikethatmovie.com.
talking about the Road Warrior is one of my favorite. Why did I mention the Road Warrior? Like, I got stuff signed by George Miller in my poster room, and like all this weird stuff from the Oscars when Fury Road, because I knew someone at Warner Brothers, and they would just like give me. So uh, my quote is from James Brunelli from Real Views, uh, and I think this really suiting a straightforward action adventure film. Filled to the brim with over-the-top chases and stunts with a 93% from the critics and an 89% from the audience. Production by Rod Shaver, Fader Monkey Productions.